Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most inspiring and successful healthcare leaders. If you love what you heard today or you just enjoying the podcast in general, I invite you to go to iTunes Podcasts and subscribe and also leave us a rating and a review because we love to hear your feedback and let us know what we're doing right and what you want to hear more of. So once again, thank you for that. And so without further ado, I want to introduce an outstanding guest. Her name is Jane Saracen Khan. She's a health economist advisor, Think Health blogster, and also part of the Health Populi, actually the founder of Health Populi blog. And she also is a contributor to the Huffington Post. Jane has a tradition of being an influencer in healthcare, and I'm so pleased to welcome her to the podcast today. Jane, thank you so much for joining us. Sal, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So Jane, I want to ask, and I want to thank Matthew Holt for the introduction, a gracious, gracious uh, soul there who you, I guess, grew up in this healthcare realm with, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to ask you, why did you decide to get into the healthcare industry? So I studied economics, just general economics, macro, micro, as an undergrad at University of Michigan and left with a BA in economics and also in media studies because I was very into writing and worked in the energy industry for a while as an economist and then in survey research in a media company for a while. And while that was happening, my mom was battling a very rare form of leukemia. And the long story short, yeah, well, this is how a lot of us get into healthcare. So the long story short, it was a six-month uh, prognosis, but she lived eight years. That was a blessing. That's amazing. Six yes. really good years. Yeah. And then the last two years were really tough and also cost a fortune of money to the health system at a time when palliative care really wasn't available, um, nor were chemotherapies to deal with the type of leukemia she had. This was in the 70s when wow. she was very young and I was very, very young. So I lost her in 1979 when I was quite young and learned a lot about the health system, watching her as a patient and seeing my dad collecting these explanations of benefits from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, which had basically zero payments due on them. Back then, my mom was in Blue Cross plan, a generous one, through a labor union. I grew up in Michigan, so that was very common. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I said as a very young student, hmm, what's wrong with this picture? Who's paying this bill? My family's <laughs> still in the same house. My dad's still driving his, Merce- or his uh, Mercury Monterey uh-huh. and didn't have to trade it in to pay for health care. So it made me look into what health insurance was because who thinks about that when you're sort of just out of your teens? Right. And then returned to University of Michigan to retool in health economics and public health. And that is clearly a mission that drives me to have mom on my shoulder all the time and all the patient engagements I learned from her. And the passion that I have is to help make healthcare better, cheaper, 
and even more delightful and help drive outcomes as well. So every project I take on looks at patients' technology now. Back then, we didn't think about technology as much. When I met Matthew, for example, the internet was yet a baby just coming out of DARPA. So that's the beginning of this career that I love and cherish. Jane, that is an awesome story. And I'm really sorry to hear about your mom. And at the same time, it sounds like she's the beacon of light now that keeps you going. And what a wonderful way to segue into what's most important to you here is, is you know, improving outcomes. And, and you're doing it through being a thought leader. I've kept up with your blog and I'm just one of my favorite blogs in the space. So for the listeners that haven't checked out Jane's blog, be sure to do that at Health Populi. We'll provide a link to that here in the show, but just amazing. And so these thoughts are deep ones that do cause you to reflect on the status quo. And and Jane, just want to thank you for what you put out there. It's a pleasure. And we have a happy anniversary to me and the blog. Last week after Labor Day, the blog celebrated 10 years of posts, over 1,800 posts, all written by me. Wow. So they're all mine and they're, you know, when I started, it was five days a week and now it's at least three to four days a week. Plus I take no ads. So it's a pure thought leadership blog. That's just what's in my head. I spill out to my readers and that's been the mission of the blog from the beginning. After working almost 20 years in the field at that point, I thought I must have something to say. And in fact, Matthew (laughs) Holt's the one who said, do it, do it, but don't get too sucked in because it's a time suck if you're not careful. So he, Matthew's been a great coach along the way as well. Yeah, that is amazing. And so congratulations on a decade and 1800. Did I hear you right? Did you say 1800? 1,800 posts. You can go on there and they're all indexed. I have a wonderful webmaster who has created tags and it's so searchable. You could write many theses based on the content in there, I think. So have at it. It's free. (laughs) And it's ad free. Now, Jane, and to the listeners, 10 years and 1,800 articles, if that's not commitment, I don't know what is. And um, (laughs) just sustained thought is can sustain thought is like water. It could just break down stones. And, and in healthcare, we've had huge stones to break, a lot of great things happening, but also a lot of opportunity ahead of us. And so give that blog a look. Jane, so all these topics that you've covered on your blog, what's a hot topic that you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda today? And uh, how should mm-hmm. they approach it? So when I started in this journey, it was all about health care. One word, hospitals, yes. doctors, pharma, medical devices, the field you know well, Saul. Yes. And, and, you know, for the first decade of my career, I worked in the UK and the NHS when Margaret Thatcher was prime minister and worked in the public sector in the single payer system there, the health service, which is very beloved to health citizens in England and, and Great Britain. And then I worked in the private sector there as well. When Boy George was going for drug abuse help, I worked on one of the private sector providers of that help for Boy George. And, you know, he was big at the time. So I cut my teeth in both public and private sector health care. And again, it's health care where I started. But I would say in the last decade, and this is the hot topic I want to morph to, we're looking at 
health care, two words now, with an emphasis on health, so that we know we can't solve everything with acute care, with very expensive specialty care and medical devices. And this is where I put my economist hat on. If you read my blog today, and today is September 18th, for those of you listening to this in the future, I write about the Gates-funded report into the global burden, the global disease burden in the world, and it's published in The Lancet, a UK journal, but mm-hmm. it's free access to everybody reading it this week on global burden for disease. And the long story short is that 72% of people on the planet, and that includes the US, are dying not from infectious disease anymore. We're dying from conditions largely amenable to lifestyle changes. So to going tobacco-free, eating better and right-sizing portions, moving around, not drinking too much alcohol, and checking our mood to make sure we're not socially isolated. Mm -hmm. So we know that this year in that study, again, generously funded by the Gates Foundation, there is sort of this triad of uh, things that cause death, and they are obesity, conflict from gunshots to terrorism to war, and finally mental health. These are this year the three scourges on years of life lost, YLLs, as we say in, in health economics, and YLDs, years lost to disability. Now, being, uh, having a disability doesn't mean you can't pursue happiness, but it's a lot tougher. You're also prone to have to leave a job or cut back on work, so you're less productive for the national economy, et cetera, and for your family. So what we want to do now in this hot topic question of yours is refocus from healthcare to health. And I have been positing for some time now that hospitals, doctors, pharma, and device companies are really in the health industry and not just in the healthcare industry. So my work portfolio has shifted a lot in the last 10 years toward a lot of new entrants in healthcare, the growth of the retail health landscape that I write a lot about. So now I work a lot with retail pharmacy, with big food companies who want to morph into healthy food companies. And if you just walk into your grocery store, you can see what's going on in the perimeter of the store and even in packaged goods in the middle of the store. The pharmacy is now in the middle of the grocery store and the pharmacist is working with dietitians in grocery stores, Mm -hmm. some of whom work with hospitals in their community. And that's the topic that I want to bring up. How do we bring social determinants of health into healthcare so we can begin to bend not only the curve on cost, but the curve on health outcomes so that we are not only living longer, but living better and more vibrantly. And so that's become the latest passion and hot topic in my work life in the area that I get paid for in my advisory work. The blog doesn't pay, obviously, because I don't take ads, but I'm advising these new entrants now on what is health care, what is health, and how these folks can collaborate with the legacy healthcare industry. Just well said, Jane, and it's never been more obvious than now that there is a huge need. With the staggering statistic that you just mentioned, 72% of deaths Mm -hmm. are related to things that we can change. That's unbelievable. And the focus on health is just another great thought. And as you look to impact healthcare 
listeners, think of these things that Jane just mentioned, you know, the social determinants of health, whether you be a provider, a payer, or industry, what is it that you're doing to influence that space outside of the four walls of the hospital? Jane, I don't know what your thoughts are here, but maybe you have some, a framework that you'd like to share with the listeners or maybe a thought process to help them get started if they haven't started thinking about this. I think I'll go back to a post that had quite a lot of traction early in the year. And it was, I was looking at the role of Amazon Prime. So let me go, I'll go back before that one to a study EY Ernst Young published a couple years ago. And it wasn't a healthcare study. It came out of their media group looking at trends in the multi-channel journey. So consumers around the world use many platforms. So we use mobile phones, tablets, PCs, and laptops, and television sets that can stream through the great Internet of Things world. People watch Netflix on there now. And then, of course, Hulu and and other great streaming devices. So we are multi-channel people. And the Latin phrase that the report pointed to was homo informaticus. (laughs) So we've morphed from homo sapiens to homo informaticus. Information-seeking, information-hungry folks on many platforms, many screens. Right. And this is everybody. And this crosses socioeconomic strata as well. So the digital divide has been largely erased with a caveat about broadband access that I'll get to uh, in a minute when we talk further about learning from mistakes. But for now, let's just assume everybody's in this great world. We're all connected in Wi-Fi. So we start with this premise that man and woman are now homo informaticus. Now, how can we leverage that, what people are DIYing every day, right. whether going to Amazon or curating our own music lists, where we don't need a DJ anymore, we are our own DJs, but photos, and I'm a great archiver for my family and my extended family as well. So I actually do get photos off of my phone and print them on my sweet little HP Sprocket these days. So love those (laughs) little portable printers that goes with me everywhere. I'm just manic about it. In any case, how can healthcare industry, health slash care, as you see on my website, I separate it with a slash to talk about both healthcare and health, bringing them together. How do we leverage people's daily workflows, life flows for healthcare? So earlier this year, then you could search for my post called the Amazon Priming of America. And what is what did Amazon Prime teach us is that we could get anything we want pretty much on Amazon in a matter of hours or just a couple of days. It, it's amazing. So now we it, have like, spoiled the gratification. Yeah. Right. I mean, my husband notoriously needs Tide to go pens everywhere he is, <laughs> like the way I need reading glasses everywhere. So he said to me the other day, oh my God, I'm going to Europe on Wednesday. I don't have any time to go. So instead of running to my beloved Wegmans grocery store, which I love and I'll give them a plug, even though they're not a client, I just love my Wegmans (laughs) as a health and goodie destination. But I went on Amazon and I found a great price on a pack of three tied to go. Again, P&G can thank me as well. And I got Robert two little packets for like 19 bucks, six of them. 
And they just came. I just opened the box to put, you know, at his dinner place so he doesn't forget to pack them. So, so the point is, this is what people want out of healthcare. Why isn't there a dashboard? Why isn't there transparency? Why can't I compare three arthroscopies in my town, three doctors, the quality of it, the way I could do that with, oh, I don't know, Beats headphones, Sennheiser, and Bose? Yeah. Like, why can't I do that for arthroscopy? And it's a good question. And this question is starting to be solved. So this is my latest rant with clients now when I'm doing my speaking or orienting a board to think differently, which was your original question. It's to think retail and not just bricks and mortar retail, but Amazon retail. Mm-hmm. And what can we learn from the Amazon priming of America because, in fact, another survey that I've been using a lot lately came out of Strategy and, which is a PwC company. And mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, they polled consumers and said, what kind of companies do you trust to help you manage your health? So it was roughly 39, 40% of people said the following. I trust large retail. I trust healthcare providers. And I trust digitally enabled companies. Now, when I present that statistic to hospitals or doctors, they can't believe it. Well, why don't people trust us to manage health? That's our core business. Well, it has to do with, one, the value proposition. Am I getting what I'm paying for? And two, transparency. I don't even know what I have to pay. So these are why uh, consumers now are thinking differently about health, especially millennials saying, why is healthcare so darn different than the rest of my life flow every day? And there are disruptors and new companies entering the fold to help meet the demands of true healthcare consumers now, not just millennials, but people dealing with cancer and people dealing with mental health challenges. And how do we pay for healthcare over time? New kinds of banking relationships to help people pay for an expensive drugs the way they might pay over time for a refrigerator. Only in America do we have that problem, but we have it in spades here in America. Right. No, very insightful, Jane. And it's the matching up of just these different cross sections of of society and industry that we could potentially find solutions that blue ocean strategy, so to speak, of healthcare. And we've all been Amazon primed. So now that we have, (laughs) you know, to take the words of Jane, you know, we've been Amazon primed. And so what are we going to do about it in healthcare? And uh, this is such a great message, Jane. And what would you say a setback for you has been or something that you've noticed or even like a healthcare setback that you've learned a lot from? Well, why did I start to think differently that way? I'll segue from what I was just talking about and point to a long history of work with big pharma. For many, many years, I did big environmental analyses, you know, landscape analysis for pharma, looking at external factors driving the business. For several big pharma companies who used to be one, two, three in the top five, mm-hmm. and a couple of them have fallen off away from the top 10 for because they didn't listen to me, I think. And what I <laughs> talked about back then was this emergence of this consumer. And um, you know, we're talking maybe eight, nine years ago where I would go in and we could see the copay for a drug, uh, the tiers of the copay widening 
So a long time ago, they were maybe five, ten, and twenty dollars. Five for a generic, ten for a brand on formulary, and maybe twenty for a brand off. Well, those spreads between the tier one, two, and three have gotten wider. Now we can see tier fours in some PBM plans, and even five tiers in a couple. And now, of course, we have specialty drug pricing, uh, percent of coinsurance, et cetera, flat fee at a high, maybe $5,000, whatever it is. So as I was witnessing the widening of these pharma copay spreads, I started to talk about the stereotypical wife, the chief health officer of her family, going into CVS, Rite Aid, or Walgreens to fill a, a prescription, and she was confronted with some sticker shock at the point of purchase, mm-hmm. say $40 for an off-brand copay for something, maybe a mental health drug that she needed that was a novel, a new, new thing, a new, new brand. And at that moment, she had to make a decision. It's my husband's birthday, she's thinking, and I need to get him that new Norelco razor that he has on his birthday list, and that's going to run like 50 bucks. And I don't think I can afford to spend the 40 bucks on the drug. So people began to self-ration due to cost, which is a topic I write about a lot, self-rationing. People don't think there's rationing in American healthcare, but man, whatever you call it, it's rationing. So long story short, at that moment, when I was talking to pharma about these three hurdles, you clear the FDA, congratulations. You get the doctor to prescribe the drug. Congratulations. Hurdle two. Hurdle three, the patient has to pay the copay and fill the prescription. And that's where it fell apart. Mm-hmm. And they didn't listen to me. And we now, of course, have this proliferation of patient access programs, etc. That is not really solving a larger problem of medication adherence issues due to cost and other issues. So as I looked at myself at that moment and said, I think I've had enough work at least this kind of work with pharma. And that's when I started to turn to these new sectors and balance out our company portfolio of clients into the new entrance, which has been such a blessing. So we look at these, quote, setbacks in our careers or our lives, whatever. And as Oprah has taught us, you always look for the gift. Yes. And that was a huge gift to me to say, well, if pharma's not going to listen, I know who will. A big grocery chain a retail pharmacy, a big food company. And I still have clients in Europe who listen to me lots because there they have scale, they have single payer or more public-private partnerships. So these messages are really getting adopted overseas in many segments a lot quicker than in America, in fact. No, really interesting, Jane. And I think you got to basically work where people will take note of what you're doing and see that it will provide results. And kudos to you for retooling, reshifting your approach. And I think it seems to be working. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, you, you know, so so you've, you've made the shift and now you're working with a variety of different clients. What's been your proudest medical leadership experience to date? Oh, wow. I'm so blessed, Saul. I can't be a diva about this. I mean, I'm pretty (laughs) humble when I look at the clients that I've worked with. And I think just the range of places where I get invited to speak now, there's a big financial service investment house that's having me in in a couple of weeks to educate their healthcare team 
on these issues about the new consumer. This weekend, I fly to Orlando to Microsoft's big Envision and Ignite meetings, where instead of me asking the questions like you're doing to me, where I, I play that role a lot, I'm mm-hmm. actually going to be on the hot seat in a fireside chat with Simon Coates, their chief medical officer, and Very he'll cool. be... Uh, picking my brain the way you're doing right now. So from Microsoft to a big Wall Street finance company to a big food company in Europe to Adidas, I've worked with them for many years in their digital health group. You know, I started again with hospitals and doctors and now to bring this health message and to try to create bridges between the existing healthcare system, which needs so much help, in getting into consumers' daily life flow with these ingredients that can solve the problem. When I can bring clients together like that, which is what I've been doing, it's really exciting to create those bridges and help build them. And it's like a big kumbaya now because we're (laughs) in a sandbox together and we can't solve the cost problem, the quality problem, or the population health outcome problem without all of us working together. I mean, Google and Apple and Amazon, as wonderful as they might be, technically, technologically, they don't have the empathy that a doctor, a nurse, or a pharmacist have with a patient. So it really takes the village, literally, indeed, to deploy. And that's where we have to go in healthcare to work together, break down the silos, which I know is tough, in big companies for a health plan, it's tough for a diversified pharma that has both a, an RX and a consumer side and maybe a device side. It's very tough to get all those parts singing together. But boy, if we can do that, we can solve type 2 diabetes. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more, Jane. It's such a great, great point. This industry does need collaboration in order to come up with some of the solutions to the bigger challenges that we have. I think of the quote by Voltaire, no problem can withstand the assault of sustained thinking. And what you're doing, Jane, is you're constantly thinking about these things. And and the end result has been, hey, you know, now you've gotten some clients that really are tuned into the things you're doing. And that's because of that power of sustained thinking. And to the listeners, an encouragement to you to take some time out of your day. And whether it be writing a blog or just writing some thoughts in your journal, take some time to just think through the problems that you have. Even if it's one hour a week, start there. And eventually what's going to end up happening is you're going to start to find that Voltaire's points are true. No problem can withstand the assault of sustained thinking. I love that, Saul. And one thing you don't know about me is that I'm a religious journalist. Not that I journal about religion, but I am faithful to journaling every day. I think it's a part of my personal cognitive therapy every day is to find grace or a blessing or something I'm grateful for every single day. I'll either snap a photo and print it on my little HP bracket and put it in my journal and write Uh about it. Or I'll probably write about our conversation tonight when I journal. But in any case, that is a very powerful thing to do, to have a little book. You can buy a 50 cent notebook at Staples or anywhere. You don't have to buy a fancy moleskin unless you love it and you want to be like Hemingway. But, you know, (laughs) buy whatever journal you're going to want to write in with a great pen and write in hand. Do not type. Get away from the computer. Shut it off and go in a quiet space and journal and write what you're thinking about. 
Mm. And you're right. Sustained thinking in a quiet space is a very powerful thing. And not enough of us are doing it enough and regularly. And it really will help body, mind, and spirit. Ah, oh, fantastic, Jane. And, and yes, I, encouragement to the listeners, leaders out there, do it because it'll certainly make a difference for you. It'll make a difference for the patients that you're taking care of and for just in general, the problems that you're looking to solve. Jane, we're getting close to the end here and uh, really been enjoying mm. our time together. Let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 or the ABCs of Jane. And so we've got, we've got four questions here, lightning round. And when we finish that, we'll finish it up with a book that you'll add to the syllabus here. You ready? Yeah. Awesome. So what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Bring social determinants of health into healthcare. So a conversation with a patient or, and or a caregiver about how they're eating if they have access to broadband so that we can start to communicate digitally with people and access to broadband is a social determinant of health. I've been writing and attesting to the FCC about that and uh, develop empathy with and for a patient. So it's social, both in terms of the determinants of health and then feeling connected with a patient and a caregiver. Love it. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Dependence on technology and assuming that an EHR or an app are going to solve a problem because they're not. Those are tools. We love the tools. I am, I mean, I've been working with these tools forever since the advent of the internet and health with and without Matthew. And I've been a proponent of these tools, (laughs) but without the analog with the digital, and by that I mean empathy and relationships, we're not going to get there. Yes, I love it. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Well, it's the constant change that drives me to want to stay relevant. Thank goodness I I do know how to sleep. I have a lot of love in my life, which helps buoy one and give one energy. So a lot of positive energy around me with my immediate family and an incredible resilient group of friends and uh, professional colleagues. And I read incessantly. Not only do I read what everyone on this phone, on this podcast is reading in terms of (laughs) professional literature, JAMA, New England Journal, Modern Healthcare, Hospitals and Health Networks, HFMA, et cetera, et cetera. I read Rolling Stone. I read Time. I read Newsweek. I read People Magazine, where I can read about mothers getting mad about EpiPen prices. If we don't stay in touch with what real people do think how people live, what people are buying, what apps they're downloading, we cannot attach to these social determinants of health and really understand how to do population health with real people. Okay, Jane, last one. What's the one area of focus that should drive all else in your company? In my company? Or in any, anybody's uh, organization? Let's call it an organization, company. I, if we're talking healthcare, health and healthcare, It's relentless focus on the patient who is a person, who is a consumer, who is a caregiver, and who is now a payer. Relentless focus on that patient person and how they live 3D 24-7. Powerful, powerful. Thank you for that one. Jane, what book would you recommend? I know you're a voracious reader out of all of them. (laughs) (laughs) What would you recommend to our listeners? Well, 
aside from Dr. Seuss's, I got lost on my way to Sala Salu, which is really a handbook for scenario planning. Uh, I use that a lot in boardrooms. The one that people will probably take more seriously, but is no more powerful than that one, is called Connected by Christakis and Fowler. So Connected is about the power of social networks. And the book came out of their Harvard research on how your social network around you, both online and offline, portends how healthy or happy you're going to be. So if you're a binge drinker, chances are someone in your social network is a binge drinker and or around their social networks is a binge drinker and or around their social networks is a binge drinker. So the yeah. thesis is that if you clean up your own social network and detoxify it, whether you've got a toxic person in your family, in your friend group, or in your employment situation, when you then kick on this virtuous cycle in your own social network, you are also positively impacting the social networks of the people you care about. If you stay negative, if you keep smoking, if you binge, eat, drink, practice unsafe sex, whatever, then you are portending bad things for the people that you presumably care about. So Connected by Christakis and Fowler. It's been out for a few years, but it is extremely powerful. A great recommendation, Jane, and I'll definitely be picking that one up. And I encourage all the listeners to also pick it up. The beautiful thing here is that you just go to outcomesrocket.com slash Jane Health, J-A-N-E Health, and you'll be able to see all the notes that we've discussed with Jane, uh, as well as a link to the book, a link to her blog, and a link to all the things that she's up to. Pick that book up. You are the average of your five closest peers. And so I think that that book really kind of cements that. I'm excited to read it, Jane. Before we conclude, can you share one closing thought with the listeners and then the best place where they could follow you or get in touch with you? Well, first, the best place to follow me is on the Health Populi blog, healthpopuli.com. You can ask to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to make new friends there. And then on Twitter, please follow me at Healthy Thinker. So my last thought is really about love and forgiveness and looking at how we know in the Global Burden of Disease report that mental health, if we didn't already believe it, we should believe it now because these folks have examined this issue inside and out uh, for the last year. Mental health and behavioral health is really part of overall health. So let's bundle that into overall health and attend to people below the surface because there's a lot we can do to impact. And the main thing we can do is de-isolate from each other, is to join hands. Saul tells me he's a hugger, so I'm looking forward to hugging him at Health 2.0 and my new friend Saul. And really attend to being kind every day because I think that will bolster health in ways you can't even imagine each and every day. A powerful message, Jane. And and once again, just want to thank you for the time that you spent on here. Wish we had extra time, but it's all we had left for today. But I know it's definitely going to leave a good ripple effect in the way that the leaders on this this healthcare sphere do what they do best. And so just want to thank you again for being on the show. Sal, thanks so much. And everybody stay well. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. 
Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 